Well, thank you, Jason, for sharing with us about your imminent trip to an undisclosed country in Asia. I think even the children know what, which country it is. Um, you know, excited to hear what hear from you when you after you return. Uh, all that God uh, had done while you, while you were there ministering to the people. I remember the first time I went to an institute to teach, uh, 2001, 2000, uh, in Russia. It was a tremendous uh, experience for me, teaching the Word of God to these Russian pastors and leaders. <clears throat> I remember just thinking, one of the first few days I was there, that I've learned so much more from these men than they would ever learn from me, just seeing their uh, purity of their lives, humility, just their earnestness. Sincerity towards the Word of God, uh, it stays with me even to this day. And with every trip abroad, uh, I've come back just immensely challenged and encouraged. I know that the same thing will be for you, Jason. So you go with <clears throat> the elders and the leaders of Cornerstone and the whole church, our affirmation. We are fully behind you in prayer. and know that <clears throat> by your life and your ministry, God will be glorified. And also note that although Jason's the one who's going, we're all going as well. He, we are sending him as part of Cornerstone. Um, he is our representative as he represents Christ as well. So just I know that everyone here, our prayer lives for the next few weeks, definitely for the rest of the month, rest of the summer, will be enriched as our own members uh, step on foreign lands to proclaim the good news of the gospel to people who do not yet know him. I plead with you to partner with all of us Uh, in prayer and to fellowship by praying for those who would go on our behalf to proclaim God's truth. Well, let's go to our study in John 12. It is our final study in this chapter. I was doing some number crunching this morning. It's our 11th study in this one chapter of the Gospel of John. Our 8th study in our series on the glory of God, the final section on John 12. Part three of the competing glory studies, study, excuse me, that there's two competing glories in our hearts, fear of God, fear of man, and just want to focus our attention on the last two verses of this section, 42 and 43. This is the commentary of John the Apostle. He writes, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Him, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. And He gives us the reason. The first reason is fear. second reason is, for they love praise from men more than praise from God. The Apostle here tells us clearly the prevailing attitude of the Jews of these cowardly men and women. They feared men more than they feared God. They desired the praise that comes from man rather than the praise that comes from God. Um, They feared rejection by their fellow peers more than they feared the Lord. And it's an application to all of us here in this room that in our hearts, that we're not just spectators of this phenomenon called the fear of man. We are not just spectators concerning this sinful propensity that we have in our hearts to live for man rather than God. We are all infected by this disease. 
We all have this propensity to love the, the praise of man rather than God. That we all have this war that rages in our hearts. It is our choice. Are we going to live for man or live for God? And that decision determines everything about us. That is the first decision from where all other decisions come, from, come, come to, come from. If we choose to fear God, then all the decisions, consequent decisions, will flow accordingly. But if we choose to fear man, then our subsequent decisions are already set. It will result in disobedience. But sad to say that many Christians are controlled by the fear of man. Therefore, many well-meaning, genuine believers, sincere Christians, young and old, are spiritually crippled. I mean, young believers spiritually, mature believers, Christian leaders, pastors, Christian national leaders are crippled by this uh, snare of fearing man. Wayne Mack said, Fear is a powerful emotion. Fear will prevent you from doing things you would normally do and cause you to do things you normally wouldn't do. Fear of man has caused proud men to beg, strong men to cry, loving men to hate, and peaceful men to be filled with fury. Fear is controlling. It is a snare. It is a slave master. At the same time, fear of man is very subtle. It is not overt. It is nearly invisible. Unless you really peer carefully and look for the chains of bondage, the fear of man. Three studies ago, we went through several marks of the fear of man. Let me just review some, maybe add some more to the list. More marks of the fear of man. Some struggle to do what is right because of the fear of man. They have co-workers, friends, relatives, siblings who are not Christians. They're afraid to speak. They go against their conscience. They know this is a ripe opportunity for the gospel and yet, because of that bondage in their hearts, they cannot articulate their conviction and they are silent and they are quiet. On the other side, they grew up in the church. Their family, everyone's a Christian. All their friends are believers. 24-7, surrounded by Christians. And so, because of the fear of man, they obey for the wrong reasons. They are involved in ministry. They go to church. They put on the persona of mature Christianity to be seen by men rather than to be seen by God. So it's the opposite but the same sins. you see that? Their motivation is not to look good in front of God, but to look good in front of the church. Therefore, their whole Christianity is based on fear of man because they're surrounded by Christians. Some believers refuse to serve, refuse to lead, refuse to communicate or, or minister in the church because they are so afraid of failure, so afraid of what others might think, so afraid of being exposed or being found out. 
And so they, in many ways, isolate themselves from fellowship. Um, They sense an irrational division, separation within the body of believers that no one else sees, but it's the prison of their own hearts. Because of their fear of man, they separate themselves because of their own insecurities, their own fears, and they're trapped. And they can't share, pray, truly fellowship, grow in intimacy, be vulnerable. That's one side. The other side is they're so ensnared by the fear of man, pleasing man, that they are needy people. They have an insatiable need for fellowship. Some can't be alone. They fear being alone. They always have to go from one activity to another. Their lives have have to be filled with Christian activity, Christian fellowship. Because they need people. Without people, they feel empty. They feel alone. They feel discouraged and depressed. Another mark is uh, conformity. Instead of being transformed by the renewal of God's word, <clears throat> they conform to their surroundings because of their, because of their fear of man. They don't want to stand out. They want to be invisible. And, I mean, it's been a difficult series because I am not above the fear of man. We're doing precision surgery, so every cut I, I see my own own experiences, my own sinfulness, my own uh, weaknesses in many of these areas, and. And just when we fear man, we begin to dress like the people around us, right? We begin to have similar hairstyles or even talk the same, same, same words, same phrases come out. Uh, even preferences, we conform to our culture out of the fear of man. On the other side, because we fear man, some get nose rings and they tattoo their bodies and they shave their hairs in a very particular, peculiar way out of rebelling against the fear of man, but that's what it is. It's all fear of man because they're reacting to people rather than God. They, they dress like, I don't want to, I'm not, no one just looks like this at Cornerstone, so I'm not pointing anyone out, but they dress like vampires. I don't know. They wear strange jewelry and you know, and that's not fear of God, that's fear of man. They're pleasing man. They're so focused on others that their dress, their personality, their lifestyle is a product of that. Let's move to uh, different names or different descriptions for the fear of man. And a lot of these are new, new to me as well. But pride is a fear of man. Pride before man, comparing yourself with others, always competing. Right? You're just comparing yourself constantly, spiritually, I don't know, athletically, personality, looks, finances, you name it. You're just always just, you know, sizing people up. That's, that's pride, right? And that's fear of man, pleasing man. Oversensitivity, where you can't just take any kind of criticism. Your life just crumbles, or you get you just get angry. Someone just points something out, you know, and uh, you just get just angry. I don't know why, you know. I bring this up, but years ago I was at a retreat, and we we're sleeping in a, in a like six guys in one room, and I said to a guy, "Oh, yeah, you were talking in your sleep last night," and he got all angry and he said, "Well, James, you snore." 
And I was like, hey, brother, I mean, I was just saying you're talking in your sleep. I didn't want to offend you. That's fine. Talk all you want. I mean, learn my lesson, right? Remember our sensitivity. Or being defensive, right? Just, the guard is always up. I'm always ready for a fight. Everything is just, you know, a debate or an argument or a controversy. Or needing approval. Or being afraid of rejection. Um, being easily embarrassed. That's fear of man, right? Easily embarrassed. Um, extreme shyness. Um, wanting to impress people. You know, have you ever lied when you were young about how rich you were to impress your friends or have people covet you or be jealous? Have you lied about your experiences or your family to your friends because you wanted them to, to like you and, and accept you and affirm you? Right? I mean, all these things tell us that people are our favorite idol. Like, in the modern day world today, we don't have um, idols, you know, we don't have Statues of Baal or Moloch, you know, and temples all around us. Uh, but they're not necessary because our favorite idol as human beings is ourselves, is, is people, it's, it's man. We have an insatiable thirst for attention, for praise, for affirmation. We, so many of us, to varying degrees, are driven by just a simple desire to be liked, simple desire to be loved, accepted, to be needed. Oh, that drives so many of us. And surprisingly, the most popular and powerful people are most vulnerable to this sinful idolatry. Do you remember uh, Sally Fields, Gidget, right? Flying Nun. Uh, when she won the Oscar for Places in the Heart, her acceptance speech was, I won, I won, I won. And she said, you like me. You really like me. And that was just a, a snapshot into her heart. That, that her whole acting career, all the successes that she enjoyed, what, when she won that Academy Award, what it meant to her was she, she was liked by her peers. <laughs> David Letterman says this, the single mo-, he said, quote, the single most powerful motivating in my life is a desire to please others. Every night, I'm trying to prove my self-worth. It's like meeting a girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be your absolute best, wittiest, smartest, most charming, best-smelling version of yourself. If I can make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished, it makes me feel like an entire person. If I've come short of that, I'm not happy. End quote. One more, tennis champ, Chris Everett said this, very insightful into her own heart, quote, I had no idea who I was or what I could be away from tennis. I was depressed and afraid recalling the final years of her career because so much of my life had been defined by my being a tennis champion. I was completely lost. Winning made me feel like I was, some, I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. She said, winning tennis games made me feel pretty. 
It was like being hooked on a drug. I needed the wins, the applause, in order to have an identity. End quote. He says, I needed it. It was a drug. It was addictive. I couldn't get enough. Well, Pastor Ed Welch says, quote, What is the result of this idolatry, people idolatry? As in all idolatry, the idol we choose soon owns us. The object we fear overcomes us. Although insignificant in itself, the idol becomes huge and it rules us. It tells us how to think, what to feel, and how to act. It tells us what to wear. It tells us to laugh at the dirty joke. It tells us not to proclaim the gospel. The whole strategy backfires. We never expect that using people to meet our desires leaves us in snare to them. End quote. These are the marks of the fear of man, the strongest among us are subject to its chains. All of us are participants. And recalling our last two studies, if left unchecked, it has horrific consequences. We're not talking about interpersonal relationships. It's not limited to that. The fear of man left unchecked has dastardly consequences like these men experienced in John 12, 42, 43. They denied the Lord. They rejected Christ. Even though they knew He was the Messiah. Why? Because of fear of man. Well, before we move on to our application, um, there were so many applications being built up in my study that I wanted to kind of devote my last sermon just bulk of the time to application. Well, before we move on to the applications... Let's spend some time just being clear to di- distinguish between natural fear and sinful fear. I think we need to be clear on this because a misunderstanding here will lead to, a, lead to wrong applications. Natural fear versus sinful fear. Now, fear is a natural human experience, emotion. Our goal as Christians is not to become fearless. That's not our goal. We are not talking about eliminating all fear. God gave us the emotion of fear for a good reason. And there are situations, there are times where we should be afraid. It is a good thing. There is a natural kind of fear that is not sinful. I remember as a youth leader, many years ago, we were hiking up in the mountains. And we had like four churches for a single retreat. And there were like almost 200 kids. And our youth group was about 15 kids, and I kind of lost them on the, on the way. And next thing I knew, one of the sophomore girls was calling out to me, and she was over a cliff, maybe several thousand feet, a cliff. And she was about maybe five feet away, and she was waving to me like this, James, Pastor James, take a picture of me. And she was nearing the edge of that cliff, and she, was, she wanted to look over the ledge. And I didn't know whether to be angry or to beg, cry, or just yell at her. I said, I was just screaming at the top of my lungs, don't take another step. Don't you dare, please. And she had no fear. She was like, hey, Pastor James. I'm like, I'm dying here. Right? See, that's not our goal as Christians, to get rid of all fear. There are fears that are legitimate, that are warranted, 
that is very healthy in life. Fear is sinful. If it meets any one of the following criteria, my fear, your fear is sinful, if it meets any one of the following criteria. Number one, fear is sinful if it keeps us from obeying God's word. If it prevents us from obeying God's commands. This is the sin of omission. Sin of not doing what God has called us to do. It is Matthew 25, 24 through 26. The master gave out talents and one man who had one talent, he was afraid, it says in verse 25. So he hid his talent, the money in the ground. And the master says, you wicked and you lazy servant. So if our fear prevents us from acting out the word of God, that's sinful fear. So if it prevents us from evangelism, if fear prevents us from ministry, if fear prevents us from opening our hearts and confessing our sins to our brother and sister, if fear prevents us from developing genuine relationships with one another, that's sinful. Because sin of omission. Second, uh, secondly, it's Fear is sinful if it causes us to disobey God's command. This is the opposite, opposite side of the same coin. This is a sin of commission, right? Commission. Sin of action. Right? Fear can either stop us from doing the right thing or it can cause us to do the wrong thing. Because men are big and God is small, we disobey. We purposely go against the Word of God there are many examples of this in the scriptures. Numbers 14 is a clear example of this. Uh, outside of Genesis 3, I would contend the most discouraging, depressing, saddest chapter in the first five books of the Old Testament. Here these people of Israel have seen God's great and mighty works against the nation of Egypt. They're on the plains of Moab. They're about to go in and take possession of this land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses says, we'll send 12 in to scout out this land so that we can take possession of it. And 10 out of the 12 come back and what do they say? There are giants in that land. Right? We're 5 foot 5, they're 6 foot 8. Right? They're big. They, got, they have guns, right? And not physical guns, but they have muscles. They're strong. They're, they're cut. And we're small. So men are big. God is small, so they refuse to obey God's word and enter into the promised land. So fear of men, fear of men compelled them, constrained them to disobey God's direct command. That's the second criteria. Third is fear is sinful when it springs from unbiblical thinking and it leads to unbiblical thinking. Fear is sinful when it springs from unbiblical thinking and leads to unbiblical thinking. When fear causes us to dwell on things that are not true. If it, if, if it causes us to go to a place where we think of the worst possible consequence. You know, we, we all do this, right? I'm asking, what ifs? What if I lose my job? What if my husband gets ill? What if my wife 
stops loving me? What if I fail? What if I'm alone? What if... And fill in that blank. What if? And that leads us to more what ifs and causes us to dwell on things that are unbiblical. Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.8, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Next time, these what-if thoughts come into our minds, go to Philippians 4.8, think of the attributes of God. That will constrain us from sinful fear. Keep us from sinful fear. Psalm 94.19, it says, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, right, exponentially. You ever experienced that? Yeah, one fear, it becomes two, it becomes four, it becomes 16 and 32 and so on and so on. And he just just multiplying. Psalmist says, Thy consolations, thy word delights my soul. It is your word that brings me back to a right frame of mind, a fearing God rather than man. So if our fears are natural fears that are not sinful, but if our fears have any one of these three three things, then it is a sinful fear. Well, let's close our time. Time we have remaining on seven applications. And this is conclusion of John 12. How can we overcome our fear of man? How can we overcome our idolatry of self? How can we stand against seeking the praise, the acceptance, the, the love of man rather than the love of God? How can we grow in the fear of God? How can I, James... Be a man of boldness and courage. Number one, the first application is admit it. You know, just say it verbally. Not just in your heart, not just in your mind. When you pray, confess. I'm afraid of men. I have a, I have a fear of men. I have done things. I am doing things to please people rather than God. Confession is the first step to repentance and growth. Many verses in Proverbs says, you see a man who is wise in his own eyes, there is, a, there is more hope for a fool than for such a man. And you know, the fool is not spoken highly of in the book of Proverbs. You see a man who is wise in his own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than for him. You see a man who is wise in terms of his own fear of man in his own eyes, there's wow, not me, everyone else but me. The Bible says there's more hope for a fool than for you. First thing you need to do is look at the plank in our own eyes before you look at the the speck of fear of man in our brother's eye. Confess it. Ask God for help. Plead to God's omniscience and say, Psalm 139, 23, 24, Search me, O God. You know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. God, may your mirror be clear so that I would know who I am. I would know my sins clearly. Ask God for help. And then, do this. Ask someone who is close to you for help. Ask your husband or wife. Ask your fellow believer in Christ. Do you see fear of man in my life? Do you see uh, just propensity in my life to make decisions to please man rather than God? Will you tell me the truth? You know me, brother. Hey, sister, you know my heart. Can you shepherd my soul and tell me the truth? 
Second application is daily read and meditate on God's Word. Daily read and meditate on God's Word. How do we grow in the fear of God? It is through the Word of God. Deuteronomy 31.13 God says, Learn to fear the Lord by learning and knowing the Word of God. Proverbs 2.1-5 I've been immensely blessed by daily meditating on Proverbs. Recommended to grow in the fear of God. Proverbs 2, 1-5 says, My son, if you accept my words and store my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight, cry out for understanding, if you look for the word of God, the wisdom of God, as for silver, as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, the word of God. That is your way out. That is my way out. That is our escape route. That is our life saver, life preserver. You know, John Bunyan's book, in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian began his journey, he fell into a place called the Swamp of Despair and he couldn't get out because he had no, 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 no foundation, no place to step on to, to be rescued, from, to save himself from this Swamp of Despair. And he was, he was just overwhelmed with with depression and sorrow and grief. He just started this journey and he's stuck. And then Bunyan says, there's only one way out of that swamp of despair. When fears are multiplying within you and you're drowning in fear, the only way out is through the promises of God. So the way out is so daily study and meditation on God's Word. Third application is right terminology. Why don't you use right terminology? Shyness is a secular term, secular label, a psychological labor, label. It almost excuses this uh, sinfulness. It uh, gives it allowance. No, we must not use the term shy. I mean, first of all, I don't know anyone in the Bible who was godly that was, we can rightly say was shy or she was shy. Do you know a Christ, godly Christian who is shy? Do you know any godly believer? I, I don't. Every, every person I would say is a godly woman, godly man is, is not shy. Why? Why? Because the, the biblical term would be timidity. That's the right word. T- timid. Or how about selfish? That would be the word. Or rude. Right? Rude is the right term. Or unkind. That's the right label. For shyness. And Timothy struggled with this. And Paul doesn't say, Oh, Timothy, you're just being shy. You know, I went through that when I was young. You know, you'll grow out of it. You know, go out there and play some active sports. And, you know, uh, and then you'll grow out of this shyness. It's a phase that you're going through. No, Paul didn't say that. Paul said, Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. That's what it is. You'll be timid. And that's not from God, Timothy. God gave us a spirit of power, dunamis, a, a spirit of love, love for others, and a spirit of self-discipline. Paul rebuked Timothy. said, stop being afraid. Stop being timid. It's not from God. In fact, it is sinful. It's no excuse. 
stage or personality or temperament. Non-Christians are enslaved to their personality. These non-Christians say, this is who I am, I can't change. That's right, you can, you're a slave. For Christians, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We have the, both the willingness and the ability to change our personality, change our temperament by submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit, not by our sinful nature. Number four, four application is, don't listen to your heart. You know, anxiety, fear of man shouts at you. You're going to get rejected. You're going to be alone. What are you thinking? They're going to laugh at you. Right? Don't even go there. Don't listen to your heart. As Priolo said, preach to your heart. Right? Proclaim the Word of God and, the applic- and just proclaim truth to your own heart. Psalm 42.5, David looked at his soul. Why, is, why are you downcast, O my soul? His soul was, was depressed, discouraged. His countenance was low. What did he do? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God. Soul, trust in God. Soul, have faith in Christ. Praise Christ. Praise God, my God and my Savior. That's what David did. He didn't listen to his heart. He, prayed, he preached to his own heart. Likewise, we need to tame our own emotions, our own desires, our own temperament. And it is not positive thinking. It is not some of these American Idol contestants who say to themselves, I can sing, you know, I'm a star, I can do this. You can do that all day long. If you can't sing, you can't sing. It's not positive thinking. No, it is biblical preaching, not positive thinking. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Our fears are due to our failure to store up, a failure to think, a failure to take ourselves in hand. The first thing we need to do is take a firm grip of yourself and speak to yourself the Word of God. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. You're thinking like a non-Christian. Timothy, start preaching to yourself this one verse. Number five. I learned this from Wayne Mack. Very good. Very helpful. Vertically, we, we go against fear of man by fearing God. Horizontally, how do we go against the fear of man? The opposite of fear of man is not courage. It's not boldness. Horizontally, the opposite of fear of man is to love man. Love is the opposite of fear. J. Adams, the enemy of fear is, is love. Love moves towards others. Fear shrinks away from them. I got a perfect illustration of this. Um, you know, at my store where I work with my parents one day a week, we have a TV, and it gets slow sometimes. And I should be, you know, reading or studying or whatever, but it's just slow. And I flip through the channel, and as I flip through the channel, sometimes it lands on channel seven, three o'clock. And you know what's on? Oprah's on, right? And so I don't watch Oprah. Come on, guys, I don't watch Oprah. But you flip, nothing else is on at three o'clock. And man, there was one story. Oh man, you know, I have to to like uh, turn away for a little bit. Uh, This family and three young children were vacationing in Colorado, and the three children got into their family suburban, and one of the children put the car in neutral, and the suburban started to roll down the hill towards the cliff. The father and mom raced toward the car. They tried to hold the suburban back, but it had already started his momentum and he couldn't be held back. Well, the mom was thinking, 
I love my children. And she put herself in front of the suburban and it rolled over her. And she somersaulted underneath that car. And she was trying to hold that car back. Well, she slowed it down enough where the husband got into the car and with his hands put the brakes on. Well, obviously she was, par- she was paralyzed. One of the tires rolled over her body. If her head had been like this, she would have died instantaneously. But because her head was switched this way, it rolled over this way. And she survived. And she was on Oprah. And the children were you know, giving their video thing about how mom is a hero. And they, she, they want to live to make her proud. And she said, I just love my children. I'll do anything because I love them. I mean, all of us would be afraid to lay our bodies down before a moving car like that. What enabled this woman to do this? It was not she was courageous. It was not boldness. It was love for her children. Well, the same principle applies to all of life. When, we, when our eyes are on ourselves, we'll be cowards, we'll be fear of man. When we love people, then we will lay ourselves down we will not fear man. And we'll study this in weeks to come. Christ's example, what did he do? Right? Here are these leaders who are afraid of the Pharisees. In John 13, he washes the feet of the disciples. Being a servant is a, is a fearful thing because if you commit to being a servant, there's a good possibility and most likely you'll be taken advantage of. Right? And that's, to submit ourselves to someone is a, is a scary thing. Well, Christ wasn't afraid because he loved his disciples and he washed their feet. What an example of loving people. So that's what we need to do, brothers and sisters in the church. We need to not be afraid of one another, but we need to love one another as Christ loved us. And what best place to start practicing love of man than by starting in the church? See, if we can't love one another here, forget the world, forget evangelism, forget missions. If we can't ride a bike with training wheels, you know, forget trying to ride a bike without the training wheels. The place to learn to love one another instead of fearing one another is in the church. So in the house of the believers, we shouldn't be timid here. Like, when you go home, are you timid before your parents? Are you timid before your sister? Right? You're not quiet around your family members. Well, likewise, in the church, we must not be afraid of one another. We must not be timid. We must not seek to please or to be pleased. Self-centered. We must not be self-centered. We must not isolate ourselves. No, we ought to. We must love one another in Christ. Are you a people lover or are you a people pleaser? If you are a people lover, you will flatter people. You will tell people what they want to hear. But if you love people, you will speak the truth. Right? Let's overcome the fear of man by speaking the truth to one another in love in the church. I think I shared this with, with many of you. I think I was talking to a brother how the only place where we're honest with one another is on the basketball court. Right? That's the only place where coldly on it. Remember one guy, I told him, you're not a shooter, you're a rebounder, right? <laughs> I told him, you're not a shooter. 
And one time he came down and he shot you know, three-pointer and he missed the backboard sideways, you know. I mean, he wasn't short. It was, I mean, he missed it like this. And next time he came down, he wanted to shoot again. And all of us were so angry with that. Like, you better not shoot the ball, right? Pass the ball, right? I mean, we were so honest, right? On the court. But I come in relationships and we just flatter one another. Oh, you're good. You're okay. You're fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. That means you're not loving one another. If you love people, you will edify with your, with your words and you will confront, not when you're offended, but you will confront when God is offended. Right? And so we know Paul was a people lover because he confronted. Right? I mean, Galatians 2. In front of everybody, he confronted Peter. Hypocrite. I mean, 1 Corinthians, the whole church. I think you want everybody. Come on. Step outside. I confront you, all of you. St. Corinthians, here's my follow-up. And Paul says, I hope... You know, you're, you're humble because I'm ready to bring out the whip when I come to you again. Right? Why? Because he loved them. He said, these false teachers flatter you because they don't love you. They want to use you for themselves. But because, I'm confronting you because I love you. If we love one another, we will speak the truth in love towards one another. Sixth application Move on quickly. Luther said this, Christian is a free Lord of all, subject to none. Luther said this, Christian is a dutiful slave to all, subject to all. So Luther said Christian is free because he fears God. He's not a slave to any man's opinions. But because he fears God, he's a Christian, he is a slave to everyone's opinions. All right. So fearing God and not fearing man does not mean I'm going to do whatever I want. doesn't mean I don't care what you think. I don't care about people's opinions. I'm going to do what I think is right. That's wrong. Fear of God means, fear of man is I don't care what you think about me. I don't want you to, I don't want, I don't need your love, praise, or acceptance. Fear of God says, I care what you think about me. I want you to love me. I care of your opinion of me. Why? Because I want God to be glorified. I want God to be pleased. Right? I want to be above reproach in your sight. I want to be seen as a servant. I want to be seen as a man of godly character. Not so that, wow, James Shin, what a good guy. Who cares about James Shin? No, I want you to have a good esteem so that you will see that it's the gospel that has produced this. It's the word of God. It is Jesus Christ. He is true. That is why I am who I am. Right? So our motivation to please man, serve man, love man, is not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. And then finally, and we close our study with this, seventh application is that the fear of God must always end at the gospel. Fear of God does not translate into evangelism. It's not true fear of God. Second Corinthians 5.11 Paul says, since then, because we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade men. Because I know the fear of God, direct application in my life is to persuade men as Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us, imploring people on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
fear of man prevents us from proclaiming the gospel boldly to this world, fear of God compels us to lovingly, graciously declare the message of salvation to all who would hear. I pray that the lofty study that we've done in the glory of God be translated into this specific area where God will deal a death blow in our hearts concerning the fear of man, pleasing man, and we will make a turning point from this point on. We will live for God's glory. Father, we do thank you for the grace and mercy you've given us in studying your word. Lord, if there is any understanding, any insight in the scriptures, it is because of the Holy Spirit, not because of us. It is by grace you've allowed us to see a glimpse of truth. And Lord, we are so rich for it. Lord, we are so blessed. You said that if you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The psalmist declared, Lord, you have set us free so that we might run in the path of your commands. We even experience it now as we understand the word of God. The freedom that it gives, the joy, the boundlessness that it gives because of knowledge of the word of God and because we are resolved to fear you alone. Lord, may that be a continuing um, discipline of our lives, a continuing character trait, um, and that what would move and motivate us, that big and little things would be your glory, your beauty, your majesty. That would be our motivation for all things. We thank you, Lord, for our study in John 12. In Jesus' name.